John chapter 8, verse 1, it says here, just read along with me. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap. Some of your translations say it was a temptation. In order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up. I love that right there. And said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until Jesus was left. The woman was still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Before you're seated, I want you to shake your neighbor's hand and tell them, put it down. Then you may be seated. Put it down. When I was 10 years old, I used to play baseball for Union City National Little League. I played about 9 years old, 10 years old, 11, 12 years old, and I played in what we called the majors. And when we used to play baseball, it was a lot of fun. But I remember, looking back at it now, I remember the 10-year-old insults that we used to say to the opposing team. Some of you are laughing right now because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now think of it like this. We were 10 years old. To us, it was like, ooh. But I'm about to tell you some of the insults that we used to throw at the opposing team. And we used to, I don't even know where this came from, but just this is what we used to say. We used to be in the dugout. Imagine about 15, 16 kids, 9, 10, all the way to 12 years old. We'd be standing in the dugout with the cage right there, the fence, and the other team would be out there, and we used to say, we want a pitcher, not a belly itcher. We want a batter, not a broken ladder. Like, just think about that for a second. Like, imagine, you know, now, you know, now some of us 30, 40 years old, and we, we really wanted to insult, you're a belly itcher. Does that make any sense? No. Matter of fact, I one of my favorite ones was when the pitcher would be warming up. We used to go, whoop, So the pitcher would throw it, whoop, and then the catcher would throw it back, Now to us, it was like, yeah, we're getting them now. And I remember one time, we were having a baseball game, and the pitcher, he was pretty good, so we had to, you know, throw him off their game. That's what the insults are for, to throw him off their game. And we used to, the, the guy, his name was David, and so we were like, David stinks, David stinks. So imagine for six innings, 
a bunch of 10-year-olds every other part of the inning. We'd go back into the dugout, and we would say, David stinks! David stinks! The whole game, 10-year-olds yelling, David stinks! The game was over. I'll never forget this. The game was over. One of our coaches was talking to the other coach, and the other coach uh, came to our coach, and he said, why do they keep, keep saying David stinks? He said, well, you know, trying to throw your pitcher off the game. He said, oh, our pitcher's name was Doug. <laughs> the whole time, we were saying the wrong name. Heck of funny. But you know what's crazy is that the scripture talks about it. It says, when I was a child, I thought like a child. Now, this is the crazy thing. It says, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. You know what that word reason is? The word reason is to judge. You make a judgment call according to how you think. And for some of us, if we're honest, we're still judging like we're children. You may not think so. Well, who does she think she is wearing that? It's called clothes. It's a good thing they're wearing clothes. Let them wear clothes. You may not like it, but stop reasoning like a child. Do you see what I'm saying? And if we're honest about it, there's so many different scenarios where if we're not careful, we think we're doing God's will when in all reality we're doing our own will. We're doing our own thing. And here in this portion of Scripture, we look at this story and we ask, how come Jesus didn't condemn this woman because she had every right, according to the law, to be condemned? She had every right to be yelled out from a dugout, what's wrong with that guy? What's wrong with this girl? Had every right, but Jesus didn't do that. Why? As we look at this story, we see here that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives uh, at the temple early in the morning. And the Bible says that he sat there teaching the people. And then the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman unto him, and they placed him right there in the midst of a crowd. That's the key. They placed her right in the middle of the crowd. Now, I'm sure that the men in the crowd, even the religious ones who came to hear Jesus, they began to shout, condemnation against this woman now when you learn the culture you will learn that many of the culture especially the uh, the pharisees and the scribes they were very loud people matter of fact if you know even people to this day from that culture they're very loud they're not quiet people they speak their mind and they don't care who who knows it i'm gonna say woman sinner sinner like they're just very loud people that's just the way that they are so i can imagine here's this woman being right in the middle of a lesson from Jesus, and the moment wrong gets put in front of them, it's time to let everybody know what's going on. Wrong, wrong, no, that, that's, oh, that, no, that's not right. So everybody starts yelling, everybody starts condemning all at the same time. Now I can see it right now as you picture it. Picture this woman, I mean, I'll be honest, if I was thrown in the middle of a crowd with something I did wrong, the first emotion that I would have would be embarrassment, right? That's embarrassing. I mean, some of us hold on to things that if you were to say them out loud, other people would be like, that's not embarrassing. Who cares? Big deal. But for you, it's very embarrassing. Imagine this woman, not only was this embarrassing, it was wrong. 
It was wrong. So here this woman, it's very possible that in the committing of adultery, the Bible says there was a crowd. It's very possible that the man that she committed adultery was even there. Matter of fact, it's, very, it's even very possible that she had committed adultery with other men in the crowd. It's a possibility. But yet, the men who committed adultery with her were still the ones yelling at her. She's wrong. She's wrong. She's wrong. Well, wait, what about you? Well, we're not, not about me right now. Her. She's wrong. So think of the situation. Look at the scenario right here. Jesus teaching a lesson. Here comes a wrong right in the middle of Jesus' lesson. This would be one of the first, what we would call WWJD. You guys remember that when those bands came out? What would Jesus do? Now think of it like this. It's not what would Jesus do, what did Jesus do? See, that's the key to understanding what it is to being a disciple. Not what would he do, what did he do? And when you find out what Jesus did, then it becomes what would I do? What should I do? So here we look at this portion of Scripture, and the Bible says that Jesus stooped down and he began to write on the ground now we're not told exactly what he wrote but for whatever reason when he wrote the bible says that the enemies of jesus kept shouting for an answer i mean i can imagine condemn her kill her this is what's supposed to happen uh, quoting the law to jesus and jesus writing on the ground and here they are just throwing these things look at you gotta do this you must do this this has to be done the Bible says in verse 7 that he straightened up and said to them, any one of you who's without sin, be the first one to throw a stone. You know what this means is that when Jesus, when he said these things, he didn't say it to the sky. He didn't say it to the left. He didn't say it to the right. You know what he did? He told them directly. The Bible says that he stared right at them. He didn't Facebook it. He didn't Snapchat it. Some of you are looking at me, well, Pastor, what you saying? Man, I see people all day on the social media, they do general posts. Man, some people, they just so fake. Well, why don't you just tell that person? Why does everybody in the whole world got to know about that? If you have an issue, what did Jesus do? He stared at them. He said, if you ain't got no sin, why don't you cast the first stone? See, because that, that's a hard thing to do, but it's a whole lot easier to, I'll just, I'm not going to face my problems. I'll Facebook it. Verse 8 says that, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, again, we're not told exactly what he wrote, but the Bible says because of what he wrote, they went away one by one. Perhaps, maybe I'm just thinking, very well, he could have been writing their very own sins in the ground. Maybe you could have been. Maybe he could have just been writing, liar. And somebody looked and went, oh, dang, that's me. <laughs> Maybe he was writing on the ground, thief. Someone went, oh, man, he saw me steal that. Dang. And so one by one, they all left. See, every one of these people were convicted of their own conscience, and they left one by one. Now, notice this. 
There were some in the temple who came to hear Jesus preach. But the Bible says that not only the Pharisees left, but even the same people who were there to listen to the lesson, they got so convicted, they left themselves. It should have been the Pharisees and the scribes, but even the ones who were there in the temple, even they left. Like, man, I don't even know what's going on here, but whatever's going on, I'm out of here. Like, that's how convicted they got. Everybody in the whole place but two remained. One was the sinner, and the other was the Savior. Jesus straightened up in verse 10 and asked the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't condemn her? Matter of fact, we heard a preacher even uh, behind the pulpit talk about how you went went around this judgment and talking about how these things go about because this is very important. When somebody sinned, you must call out the sin. You cannot give a blind eye. You cannot say, oh, it didn't happen. No, no, no. Something must be done in order to atone for that sin. In other words, you can't just do it and nothing happened. But how come this didn't happen the way that we don't see it? Because Jesus, he condemned immorality before. He condemned things like this before. This wasn't a norm that Jesus just came in and said, oh, okay, just leave. No, he had made sure. Look, for those of you that say, well, Jesus is looking at it and he's okay with it. No, he is not. Matter of fact, even in the scriptures, the Bible talks about how Jesus was talking to people and says, for those of you that think that uh, adultery is a sin, even if you lust after a woman, in your mind you've committed, committed a sin. So he took that road and went to a higher ground and said, oh, you thought it was just this. No, no, no. If you have anger in your heart, You think it's murder. No, you have already committed murder against that person in your heart. You have it in your heart. You don't need to do it with your hands. Your heart already did it. So Jesus had already put condemnation and had already put a law in place. So why with this woman do we see this happening and taking place? Number one, really quick, I want to give you a few reasons why. And what we see in a great truth of why he didn't condemn her. Number one is because men cannot judge others on their own law. Now let me explain something when it comes to judging. Because this is like the one, you know, uh, you know uh, finding that you will see within Christianity. You cannot judge. Judge accordingly. What, well, what does the Bible say? And I was researching this and going over this, making sure that we understand. Because when you were a child, you judged like a child. But when you became a man, or in other words, when you matured, when you grew up, you judged rightly. Now watch this. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says this. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of this appearing and in this kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage. But I like this. This is the key. With great patience and careful instruction. Are you hearing me? This is very important. If you are judging someone and you don't have great patience or careful instruction, that is just your feeling of a condemnation. Are you seeing the difference? Because a lot of times we go, oh, look what she did. Look what he did. Okay, but have you you really prayed about that? Have you really sought the face of God? Have you really sought the heart of God with this? Not to say that that wrong didn't happen, but do you have patience? 
See, some of you right now, I, I think this should be a, a key to you that you should see that this story is not a parable. This story is not an allegory. This is an actual happening. So for some of you, if you need to do it, then you should do this. In other words, if sin comes your way, what you should do? Maybe you should just bend down and start writing on the ground. I don't know what you're going to write, but you need to write something. Because for whatever reason, writing on the ground gives you a little bit of time. We don't know what he was writing, but he was writing something. And when he was on that knee, great patience and careful instruction. So for those of you that say, well, no, you got it. Well, is there patience along with that? Is there instructions along with that? Look at this. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. In other words, with the scripture that talks about using the word to correct, using the word to encourage, using the word to rebuke, it's very important that we as your leaders, we keep watch over you. And when we correct you, we're not correcting you just so that everybody in the whole world can know, listen, we ain't got to do that. The crowd does it by itself the crowd alone will make you feel condemned we're not here i'm not here our leader is not here to be the crowd we are here to give careful instruction and share with you things say hey, hey hold on i would be very careful with that i wouldn't go that way and if we have to we're going to stare at you and say hey don't do that don't go there that's not right and there must be a boldness about it when it comes to correction and rebuking in the way that God has called us to do it. You see, some of you right now, everyone's real quiet right now, like, oh, my gosh. This, this is very important to me because I believe that there's going to be so many different men and women that get saved. But listen to me, ladies. We're going to get women that come to our church that have skirts higher than the, what you used to wear back, way back when. They're going to be a whole lot higher. <gasps> How dare she? How dare she what? Sinners sin. They can do whatever they want. That's just what they want to do. Listen, fellas, we're going to get guys that come in here with them glasses and their shirts all open. What's up? I'm sexy, and I know it. <laughs> Who's that guy thinks he is? What's wrong with him? So what? Let him strut his stuff. Big deal. You can only strut so far anyways. Like, who cares? But see... Those of us that have been in the church a while, we have a certain way of thinking. No, 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 you got to dress like this. you got to talk like this. You must do this. And if you don't do this, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with them is that they're still sinners trying to be saved by grace. These things are still happening. Why would you say that? Why would you do that? Why would you come to this church? Why? Go to another church. That's still the body of Christ. Why can't they come to our church? What's the difference? The only difference is we're not judging correctly. That's what it is if we're honest. Acts chapter 8, verse 18. Watch it. I'm giving you more scriptures. Very important. Write these down because you got to have these. Put them on your phone. Put them on your hand. Put them somewhere. Acts chapter 8, verse 18 says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Jump down to verse 21. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. Really quickly, the context of the scripture is here comes a man. He wants to, they got, says, hey, can I pay for what you got? And with all of a sudden, the apostles said, no, I rebuke that. There's going to be certain times when certain occasions come and we got to say, no, we rebuke that. How dare they rebuke me? No, we have to rebuke you. That stuff doesn't happen here. We don't do that stuff here. 
You need to understand you cannot think like the world. See, when you hear messages here this morning that challenge you, my prayer is don't get hurt, get challenged. Get challenged. Because when it comes to the word of God and when it comes to correcting, you must understand that God loves you the way that you are, but there must be a change to become who he is. He loves you just the way that you are. You are and I've said this before, you don't have to wear a tie. You don't have to wear a dress. I just like wearing a tie. It's a personal uh, uh, standard that I have personally. If you don't want to wear one, then don't wear one. But I wear a tie, and don't get mad at me because my wife says I look better than George Clooney. That's just the way that it is. So to George Clooney, you're welcome. It's a personal thing. See, now this is very important because I'm going somewhere with all this. John chapter 7, verse 24. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. I'm giving you scriptures. You got to get this. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So get this. In a story that I told you earlier. When I was saying, we want a pitcher, not a belly itcher, guess what? We would go back out there on the field, and the other team would do the exact same thing. The exact same thing. So what am I saying? I'm saying this. You have gotten to a certain point in your life, in your Christianity, in your manhood, in your womanhood, and you make a judgment call every day. Some of you, when you're driving and a person cuts you off, one of the first words out of your mouth, man, that idiot, that's a judgment call. He's an idiot. That's your judgment call. Did he cut you off? Sure. Maybe he doesn't know how to drive, but is he an idiot? Only according to you. So don't get mad when you cut somebody off and they go a little bit further than idiots. Because they're going to judge according to what they're doing. Do you, see, do you see what I'm saying? It's very important because you always reap what you sow. You always reap what you sow. It's not a you might reap what you sow. You always reap what you sow. I just heard this just the other day from my mom. Because when the kid, uh, excuse me, when my mom came over, the kids were running around crazy. The kids are all running around crazy. I'm used to it. It's no big deal to me. But my mom, she was like, see, you reap what you sow. I was like, what do you mean? She goes, yeah, God gave me one of you, but God gave you two of you. Ha <laughs> ha. Like, thanks, Mom. You can leave now. No, Listen, we don't know all the facts that happened with this woman. We don't know all the circumstances of other people's sins. We don't even know the power of temptation that another person is weak in. We don't even know the pressures under which they were led into the sin. Listen to me. God wouldn't have us to condone sin, but he wouldn't have us to condemn the sinner. Listen to me. God wouldn't have us to condone sin, but he would not have us to condemn the sinner. This is very important. Because what I'm talking about and where we're going, if we are not understanding what God is doing within us, we're going to start making judgment calls and we're going to wonder why. Man, how come they don't want to come to our church? They don't want to come to our church because you're playing judge and jury all in the same moments. 
You're the judge, and you're the jury, and you're the warden, and you're the bailiff, and you're the this. Like, man, chill out. Calm down. Matter of fact, here's a scripture for you. For those of you that say, no, no, no. Galatians chapter 6. Everybody should write that scripture down. This is very important. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin. I like this real quick. Just watch me right real quick. It doesn't say if someone was found out about sin. This one says if someone was caught. In other words, undisputable evidence. All the evidence leads to the person was in sin. This wasn't hearsay. This wasn't third party. This was, no, you saw them steal. You saw them cheat. You saw them lie. Like, you caught them. Even though, listen, even though they were completely 100% in the wrong. That's what he's saying with caught in sin. Not found sin, caught in sin. Watch this. Galatians chapter 6. If someone is caught in sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. I'm just letting it sink in right now. I'm just letting it sink in. Just letting it sink in. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourself or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. You know who he's talking to? He's talking to people in the temple, talking to uh, synagogue people, talking to church people. That's who he's talking to. He's talking to church folk. And he says, look, if you think you're doing it and you're fulfilling the law of Christ, you ain't fulfilling the law. There is nothing law about you because you have no grace. There is no grace to that. Oh, but pastor, you should have saw what they did. I don't have to see it. I know what they did. You could tell. It's, it's all over them. It's, it's there. Why do I have to condemn them? It's acknowledgeable. It's there. Because if I'm in the spirit, if I'm a spiritual person, I must learn how to restore. Listen to me. It's very important. You and I are called to be restorers, not reviewers. Are you hearing me? I say that because I know the generation we live in. The generation we live in is a Yelp generation. That's what Facebook is. Oh, I love that movie. You're telling me your review. Oh, I hated that movie. You're telling me your review. That's what Facebook, Instagram is all about. Oh, everybody should come eat here. Everybody should try this. You're telling me your review. So we live in a generation of nothing but reviews. Give me the, did you like the movie? How did it go? So then we just, many times we do the same thing. Oh, was she messed up? Tell me how messed up she is. Is he jacked up? Tell me how jacked up he is. We live in a generation of reviews. Tell me your review. When really, according to scriptures, we're supposed to be restorers, not reviewers. We are here to restore the men and women that have fallen. As I was looking and going over this the, the study and putting this together, two of the first people that I thought of right away that were the biggest names in all of Christianity, Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart. And I remember when they first got saved, they called, they, they were the, or excuse me, when they first fell, if you don't know who their names were, research it on your own. These men were big. I mean Bigger than life. 
Huge names. And these men could preach, too. Don't get me wrong. They weren't just names because they were names. These guys could preach. They were really good. But they fell. And when they fell, like they say, the higher you go, the harder you fall. And they fell hard. And you would hear names. I was going over the, the reviews, the newspapers. Oh, uh, evangelical falls hard. All this uh, adultery and all this, I mean, deep. And you, then I started even reading certain words, blackballed. I mean, certain Christian cast them out. They've casted them out. They can no longer speak, no longer preach. I'm like, man, that's crazy. That's crazy stuff. Now think of it like this. Now for those of you who say, well, you're, you're bringing it to our generation. You know that there was a generational man just like that in the Bible that fell hard by the name of King David? So think of it like this. We use David like, oh, King David, he slewed, slewed the giant. I mean, there's books written about that. There's seminars, conferences, all about slaying the giant, the, the anointing of God, being young, going to the shepherd's field. I mean, there are uh, uh, just so many different things about David. But when it comes to Jimmy Swaggart and Jim Baker, oh, no, 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 don't do that. They messed up. But yet you have a conference named after an adulterer in the Bible. Where's the, do you see what I'm saying? Now, believe me, we're not condoning the sin. I'm not condoning the sin whatsoever. But I want to make sure that I don't be a condemner of the sinner. That we don't be a condemner of the sinner. I know everyone's quiet right now. I get that. This is not a, hey, because I'm trying to get to your spirit right now. I'm really trying to get to your spirit. Because when I saw that, Jim Baker, and you know what I love? Is that when Jim Baker, when he fell, a couple years later, Guess where one of the first conferences he ever spoke at, coming back and being restored? Victory Outreach, Mighty Men of Valor. You know why? Because Pastor Sonny saw, yeah, you fell. Yeah, you messed up. Yes, you did this. Yeah, people don't like you. People don't even want, they, I mean, they just, they hurled insult after insult after insult with Jim Baker. And some, let, no, don't get me wrong, some were rightfully justified. Some, to a certain degree. But as far as the insult, no. Like, there is, I, I can't find that anywhere in the Bible where it says make sure that they get in a crowd and everybody needs to tell them their sin. It's very important. Very important. Jim Baker, Jimmy Swagger. Those are just two big names that I could think of off the top of my head. Can we allow a Jim Baker to come into our church? Can we allow a Jimmy Swagger to come into our church? Can they still come? Oh, no, they messed up. They're all jacked up. You should, you should know what they did. Let me tell you, Pastor, what they did. Don't give me a review. Give me a restore. Give me a res restoration time. Give me a restoration period. Give me a restoration story where you've been able to say, hey, I know this person was messed up. I know this person was all jacked up. I know every matter of fact, they were even caught in sin. But my God gave me the strength, gave me the grace, looked them straight in the eye and said, hey, even though everyone else is hurling sins at you, hurling condemnation at you, I want to give you the grace that has been given to me. The grace of God. The power of God. You know what's heavy? Is that when you look at this portion of scripture, you will find that actually she condemned herself. She condemned herself. You're probably saying, well, what do you mean? How does she condemn herself? How do you even know this? The Bible says, and it teaches us, that except a person repents, he cannot be forgiven. But what does the Bible say? Jesus forgave her. So she had to have repented. 
There had to be repentance in her. Not everybody sees it. Not everybody knows it. But Jesus knew it, and so he forgave her. Why? Because she repented. She repented. Jesus came not to condemn. John chapter 3, verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Listen to me. This is very important. Jesus hates all sin. He doesn't want us to be. He hates your sin. He hates my sin. Jesus hates sin, but he loves the sinner. He loves the sinner. See, we should despise the sin, but love the sinner. This illustrates God's grace. Instead of condemning the woman, he forgave the woman. She had committed a serious sin. She had been very immoral. She was unclean, but in spite of all this, Jesus forgave her. Jesus did not forgive her because she promised not to sin anymore, even though he commanded her not to sin anymore. See, some people believe that they can't ask God to forgive them until they feel sure that they will never sin again. Listen, I want to tell you right now, I don't think there's any person that can honestly say, if you forgive me, I'll never sin again. Like, I, I can't think of anybody. I mean, you could be as sincere, as sincere, as sincere as you want, but that's a very difficult thing to do. Okay, forgive me, and I'll never sin again. Uh, that's a very hard thing to be able to say. See, Jesus saves us in order to give us power not to sin, not because we promise not to sin. See, the Bible does not teach us that we must quit sin to be saved, neither that we must promise not to sin again in order to be saved. Listen, my friend, we are saved because we are sinners. That's the only way salvation happens. See, the angels don't get this. You and I get this. We, we have been forgiven of sin, and that is the power of salvation. Salvation is that power never to allow sin to infiltrate our lives again. See, after we're saved, we are given the power to live a victorious life. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, as I come to a close, says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Listen to me. Think of it like this. Just recently, my wife... She had to get her a, a appendix, right? She had the appendicitis. Now think of it like this. Do you think that we would go to the doctors and say, look, doc, hey, as soon as I get rid of this appendicitis, I want you to operate. That doesn't make any sense, right? Like, no, no, no. Operate, please. Take this out. Get rid. I don't want this anymore. See, many people think, okay, wait, after I'm done sinning, then you could take it out. No. That, no, no, no. God has given you the power of salvation so that there is no more sin. And look at no more condemnation. No more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen to me here this morning, as I, and I close with this. Maybe some of you here this morning, you might be in the perspective side of the woman. And you think, man, I can't stand coming to church because every time I come to church, I just feel people looking at me. I feel people saying stuff about me. People just saying all this stuff about me. And man, how did they even know? I don't even think they know. Do they know? And you have all these things running through your head. All this stuff running through your head. And I want you to know something. More than half of those things are just lies of the enemy. 
They're just lies. Matter of fact, if we're honest, much of the people that you feel might be hurling condemnation at you, it's because they felt the own condemnation of other people. Other people. And so you're thinking, man, no one's going to love me. No, actually, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. This is the right place to be. And I want to tell you something. If you have that spirit of this adulterous woman, not saying you committed adultery, I'm saying the spirit of that. Because the spirit has all this condemnation attached to it. Man, I messed up. Man, I'm jacked up. No one's going to love me anymore. No one's going to take me for who I am. No one's going to accept me anymore. It's that spirit, that spirit of oppression. I don't have it all together. No one's going to love me anymore. For those of you that maybe you've been married before, nobody's going to, man, I've, I, my first marriage was all messed up. I can never get married again. No one's going to want me. No one's going to take me. I can't do this again. I'm all messed up. I want you to know something here this morning. If you have that spirit on you, I want you to know. Therefore, if you are in Christ, there is no more condemnation. No more. Don't worry about what anyone else is saying. Don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Don't worry about how everyone else is dressing, how everyone else is talking. You need to know that God has forgiven you. You have been now, on the second perspective, as it comes to the piano, on the second perspective, for those of you that say, well, you know what? We need to clean the church. That's why we got to tell people they can't do it. Before we clean the church, clean your mouth. How do you clean your mouth? Clean your heart. Well, no, we, we can't have this in the church. Well, guess what? The first church there is before you walk into here is you in the first place. So believe me, if there's sin in this church, the walls are not going to cave in. They're not going to fall and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, the walls detected sin, therefore they're going to cave. No, they're not going to cave. They're going to still stay standing. They'll be fine. Because the church is not this building. It's not this building. We could take all the pews out and we could have a, a restaurant in here. The, the walls don't care what's in here. They, they're, they're not tripping. It's not about the, what's going on in here. It's going on in here. This is the church. So listen to me. It's very important. If you are ready to say, well, the church needs to. You know what you're really doing? In all honesty, and I say this in love. The church needs to. What you really need to do is open up your hand and put down the stone. Well, the church should. Well, they should. That leaders. Just put the stone down. We're going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Well, if they didn't, just put the stone down. You're going to be fine. Well, if you knew what they did, they were in church before and they messed up and they came back. Why are they even coming back to this church? How do they even do it? Don't worry. We'll, we'll survive. It'll survive too. It'll be okay. It'll be perfectly fine. And I say that because I know that we have history here within the city of Hayward. In other words, we've been here for 35 years, somewhere around there, 35 years. We've been here for 35 years in the city of Hayward. In other words, there's been a lot of people who have gotten saved in our church. So when you get a lot of people to get saved, you also get a lot of backsliders. It just comes with the territory. It's natural. 
It's just natural. It comes with it. So if we get a lot of people that start coming back to church, we go, hmm, pastor don't know because he was in San Diego, but I know what she did. Okay. That's cool. Write your review on Yelp. That's fine. Just Yelp, everybody. You don't have to Yelp the church. You know what Yelp in the church is? Gossip. That's what Yelp, if I'm honest, that's all Yelp in the church is. Just a bunch of gossip. So that's why you need to be very careful if you're going to judge. I'm not saying don't judge. I'm actually am saying judge. Go for it. Judge. But judge correctly. Judge with a pure heart. Matter of fact, and if you're going to do it, do it with great patience and careful instruction. If there's no patience and there's no instruction, I don't know if you're keeping according to the law of what Christ is trying to give us. It's according to your law. No, no, no. Just hold on. Hold on one second. Now, we're going to be bringing in Dr. Michael Brown. If you don't know who he is, trust me. Be here. Get, just be here. Even if you, you, you come like every other Sunday and you're like, which Sunday should I come? You need to come on that Saturday and Sunday. Because we have a big issue here within the Bay Area called homosexuality. And it's really infiltrating our churches where we're getting a lot of pastors, a lot of ministers, a lot of churches that are being okay with homosexuality. And I'm going to make it straightforth. Right now in our church, we're not okay with homosexuality. We're not okay with drug addiction. We're not okay with pornography. We're not okay with murder. We're not okay with gossip. We're like, we're not okay with that stuff. I'm telling you right now, we're not okay. That's one of them. That's one of the things. We're like, no, that's, that, that is sin. However, we will not condemn the sinner. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to get a lot of people in here that are homosexual. And they're going to come on purpose because we invited them. So I'm wondering, now some of you may say, well, I have gay friends. Okay, you got gay friends, but, you know, I understand that. You have to be able to love the sinner, but not love the sin. And this is the key. Give them the instruction that they need. Because you're wondering, well, how do I deal with that? That's my gay friend. You must learn how to be a light in the midst of the darkness. You gotta learn how to deal with addiction. You gotta learn how to deal with homosexuality. You gotta learn how to deal with these things. Because if you don't, you're just, well, I'm just quiet. Matter of fact, the Bible says, don't be quiet. Don't be silent on certain issues. You gotta say something. So on November 12th and November 13th, we're gonna have a lot of adulterous men and a lot of adulterous women coming to our church. And if it's going to be tough for you, and I'll, I'll be honest, I think maybe for some of you it's going to be a little tough because some of you get mad at just the color a woman wears her dress. The way a man wears a tie or doesn't wear a tie, you get upset. Like, you really do. I know my church. I know I'm talking to. So if you have trouble with that, I know you're going to have trouble with homosexuality. I know you are. No, I'm not. Okay. I hope not. Because if you are, you know what I would challenge you? Just get on the ground. Just start writing. I don't even know what I'm writing. I'm just writing. What are you doing, brother? I don't know. I'm just writing right now. You ain't even got a pen. I know. It's imaginary. It's just imaginary right now. Okay? Just leave me alone.
we're in the San Francisco Bay Area. It's a big issue. I get it. I understand it. But I don't want to avoid it. A lot of churches try to avoid it. Ah, just don't talk about it. Now we're not going to talk about it. Now we're not going to do that. I just had to do a funeral for my cousin. And I got to, you know, every once in a while I got to talk to her wife. She was gay. She was homosexual. I got to talk. Maybe for you it's not an issue. For me it was. It still is. Even to this day. My family, they're nuts, man. My family's crazy. I got it. I got it. Thank you. And they go off. Ah, it's wrong. It is wrong. I got family. They're not even saved. And they're all mad at homosexuals. Just because that's the way they were brought up. Ah, it's wrong. It's wrong. Man, just chill. Can everyone just chill right now? Well, if you know my family, they don't chill. You ought to just chill. I ain't chilling. Oh, my gosh. Go drink a beer. No, don't drink a beer. What are you doing? Stop doing that. I don't know. It's crazy. It's chaotic. Oh, no, no, no. I got to learn how to be patient, and I got to learn how to give instruction. Let those who are spiritual gently restore those who have fallen. Gently restore. For those of you life group leaders, you need to learn this principle. You got to learn how to do this. Because you're going to get a lot of people who have been hurt up and down here in the Bay Area. Bay Area, you just drive on East 14th. Within a, I'll just say a five-minute drive, you're going to count about maybe 30 churches in a five-minute drive. That's just on East 14th. That's not including going up and down. Right? For those of you that know, Oakland, there's church after church after church after church after church. And they're all small. You want to know why they're small? Because a lot of times, just they get hurt in one church, so what do they do? Go to another church. And then guess what? This is how actually a lot of those churches have started. I looked into it. They get hurt at one church, so guess what they do? They make another church. They went to a church called Second Chance. I'm not making this up. Second Chance, they go and make a church and call it Fifth Chance. Out of spite because of the other church. Right? I don't know about you, but man, I'm tired of that. Why does this keep on happening? What is going on? Everybody's getting offended. Why are so many people getting offended? Look at, I love the fact that we could have people who have been hurt and should be able to get help in our church. Look at, I know our church is not perfect. I'll be the first to tell you that. I'll probably even be the first to tell you that some of the things I may say may offend you. I know that. But as long as you know I did it with love, I'll try my best to say it in love. Don't do that. Don't say that. Don't go there. Be careful. You're saying it with love. You've got to be very careful. Now, this is what I want. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed.